Well, thank you, praise team. We are grateful for you leading us in praise and for using your God-given talents to lead us in song. Well, before we get to our sermon, we'll do a little sermon for the kids. So, boys and girls, i got a story time for you. So, boys and girls, come on up here. Come on, friends, don't be shy. So, guys, it's Christmas time, isn't it? Everybody excited? So I have a question for you guys before we get to our story this morning. How do you know if someone loves you? Like, how do you know your mom and dad loves you? How do you know your friends love you? How do you know that someone loves you? Any guesses on that? That's a big question. What do you think? They treat you well? Okay, yeah. What else? Uh-huh, because you're in a relationship with them. You're, if they're your parent, you're their son or daughter, and so they love you for that, yeah? By buying you presents. I figured that was going to come up. It took a few, but I thought that was coming. Yeah, by giving good things. What do you think? They discipline you. They discipline you. Yes, in their love, they do that as well. Yeah. What's that? They've adopted you. Yeah, they loved you. They brought you into their family by design. That's an awesome indication of love. Yeah. What, what do you think, Leela? They're loving to you in the way they treat you. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that you know. What is What is it? They, they sacrifice their life for you. They give up stuff for themselves. Yeah, guys, y'all just got a really good understanding of how you know someone loves you. It's not just a feeling, but it's that they do things that show that. And so I want us to think about God's love for us this morning. That's what our sermon is going to be about. It's really fitting before we even get to the sermon this morning, which is really all about God's love, to think about how God showed his love for us. Now, I just want to remind you guys, as we think about the Christmas story this morning, it's not an isolated story. I'm kind of starting in the middle of a book. Like if you see here, how often do your parents pick up a book, find a middle chapter, and start with that middle chapter, right? Now, you normally start where? No, at the front of the book. At the front book. of the book, yeah, and you go to the end. You start in Genesis, that's right, yeah. But today we're going to start in the middle of the Bible here. Because, but I want to remind you, even as we do so, boys and girls, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God's love for us. It's his glory on display that we're just thinking about, but it's, he shows it to us in the way he loves us in all the different ways you guys were just talking about. And so I want us to read the Christmas story, remembering that we're in the middle of a big story. This is one chapter in a much bigger story, okay? See if y'all can get to where y'all all can see. I may have to scoot back a little bit so everybody can see here, okay? Look at all the people on the road to Bethlehem. They were on their way to be counted, and they were very unhappy. They were mad at the king, and they frowned as they walked. They were angry with the king, and they grumbled as they walked. But not everyone was unhappy. Do you see that happy couple on the road? If they were mad at the king, their faces did not show it. Do you have any idea why they were happy? Why were they happy? Because he was about to have a baby. about to have a baby, yeah. So who is this going down the road, guys? Mary and Joseph. Very good. Mary soon was going to have a baby. God had told Mary and Joseph that their baby was the promised one from long ago. He would rescue God's people. He would give God's place back to them and bless all the peoples of the earth, even as we prayed earlier, friends. But in this crowded city, where would the special baby be born? In a nice big home? No. In a clean hotel? No. No. All the nice big homes and clean hotels were filled up with people. Can you guess where he was going to be born? In a stable. In a stable. Y'all know your story well. In a stinky and dirty stable. That's right. God's forever king was born in a stable, a place for animals. His parents named him Jesus. They wrapped him up warmly and laid him in a manger. What a strange place for the promised one. Who would have imagined it? While Caesar, the king of the Roman, the Roman world, was showing everyone how great he was by counting all of his people, God, the king of the universe, was showing the world how great he was by sending the, his son into the world as one of the people. 
what a very big day. What God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David had arrived in the birth of Jesus. And the news of his great arrival was going to spread. Friends, what a great story that is, because it's not just a story. It's what actually happened, that Jesus was born to rescue us from our sins. And so as we go to the sermon, I want you all to listen to about how this coming of Christ shows God's love for us. But as you go back to your parents, we have some special treats for you. Miss Molly has candy canes and activity books for every single one of you. Miss Kiva has some as well, and Miss Julia has some as well over here. So if you guys want to go see one of those three as you head back to your seats. Thanks for listening so well, boys and girls. Moms and dads, you've done well teaching the Christmas story to your boys and girls. They understand it, don't they? And boys and girls, good job listening and good answering questions. As the boys and girls go back to their seats, we do want to start with that question of how do we know when someone loves us? And the boys and girls had really incredible answers to how we know someone loves us because it's not just a feeling, they demonstrate it in some way. And that's really important as we continue our Advent series, because today we come to the topic of God's love. We've been celebrating who God is. We've been seeing the wonders of His hope, His peace, and His joy, and how the coming of Christ imparts to us hope and peace and joy. And today we come to the theme of God's love. How do we know that God loves us? And His love that we're going to see is more amazing than any human love we've experienced. So I want you to find your copy of God's Word of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John Chapter 4. No, that's not the normal account in the Gospels for the Christmas story. But as I mentioned to the boys and girls, the whole story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the message of God's love for us. His glory on display, and he shows that it's in the way he loves us. And so, uh, as we see that this morning, I want us to realize that what we're looking at with Christmas is just one part of the whole redemptive story of the whole Bible. If you turn to First John, let me just remind you some background of the book of First John. It's a short letter written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John that we spent a year going through. He's now writing much older in his life as an established leader in the church. You're probably being written somewhere around 80, 67 to 80, 90, somewhere in that range in the time period in redemptive history. His focus in First John is how you live out your Christian life. Not very different than what we've seen in Paul's letter to the people at Ephesus of our identity in Christ. But to do so, what John's going to do is he's going to point people back to the character of God. As we come to First John chapter 4, we're in a section about of commands of how we are to love one another. But to teach us how to love one another, John is going to go back and point out the character of God and his love for us to be an example for us. And that's what I was going to focus on this morning, of him pointing us back to the character of God and to God's love. It's very fitting as we think about Christmas morning coming up. So as we read 1 John chapter 4, I want you to think about what do we learn about God's love here. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 John chapter 4, read verses 9 through 11. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your unchanging word to us that you have not hidden yourself from us, but you've revealed to us who you are. 
God, I pray this day that your Holy Spirit would let your word come alive and speak it into each one of our hearts to guide us, to correct us, to teach us, to encourage us as we need. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One thing I want you to see about what we learn about God's love is this. The coming of Christ shows us the wonders of God's love. The coming of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas of Emmanuel, God with us, shows us the wonders of God's love. Yes, our text today is a Christmas text in one sense because it does deal with the coming of Christ. It deals with why he came and it shows us how God's love comes to us and how it far surpasses any other love we could experience. The coming of Christ shows the wonders of God's love. So first of all, look at how this text does deal with Christmas, does deal with the coming of Christ. Look back in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It says here that God's love was made manifest. To be manifest means to come to the open, to be revealed, to show, to be made public. And so Christ was coming to manifest something for us, to reveal something to us, to show us something here. And if you look back in verse 9, was it he came to show us in this the love of God was made manifest, was revealed, was brought to the open. Now, friends, God's love is not his only attribute. We've talked about this before. Our culture loves to elevate the love of God over all of his other attributes. And so we tend not to talk about or sing about a whole lot of God's wrath or justice or holiness or all those things. But, friends, it's God's, God is fully all of his attributes all the time. But it's appropriate to focus in on one attribute at a time so we go deeper into that. So we see the love of God here. We're not looking at the love of God in the exclusion of his holiness or his justice or anything else. But we're seeing the totality of his character, and particularly here this morning, his love being made manifest. Well, if God's love is shown, that raises the question, what is love? Well, friends, our culture often only sees love as a feeling. It's something that just comes and goes, and you fall in love, and you fall out of love, and it's really relegated to a very low place in that. But that's not what love is. I loved it when the boys and girls, when we asked them what love was, how do you know someone loves you? And the way they answered that, they got that love is, is, is tangible, it's expressed in some way. So here's my definition of love I want us to work from this morning. Here's my understanding. Love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. Love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. It's a choice, friends. We choose, by God's grace, to love other people. But love means we give of ourselves. It costs us things. It costs us our time. One of the kids this morning described love as a sacrifice. You know your love because someone has sacrificed something for you, and it's for the good of another. Love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. Friends, in light of that, and what we're seeing in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the love of God was manifest. Friends, what we're seeing is God has chosen to give of himself freely for our good. That God is giving of himself freely for our good, and he manifests that love for us in so many ways. But the epitome of it is in Christ and what Christ has come to do. And look back at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. The Christ has come into the world as Emmanuel, God, with us. It's the epitome of showing us his love for us. And friends, we sing about it, we talk about Emmanuel, God, with us, but if you're like me, it's easy to lose the wonders of that love. The Christmas story becomes so familiar and we get so used to it that we can kind of just go through it without feeling any movement in us in terms of response to this. So this morning I want us to think about how the coming of Christ shows us the wonders of his love. It's not just any love. It's a wondrous, amazing love that we've just sung about this morning. I want to show you kind of several things about this love that I hope will recapture our heart's attention to how wondrous it is. The first thing I want you to see about God's love for us is a very unique 
love. It's a very unique love. Look back in verse 9 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. Notice the word only there, friends. The word only emphasizes the uniqueness of Christ. It emphasizes the deity of Christ. In fact, the one who has come, the one we celebrate and sing about this morning as a baby in a manger, is in fact the second person of God. One God, three persons of Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, that great mystery. But the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, what we, who we call the Son of God, the one who's always existed, has now come. And just to remind you who the baby in the manger is, I want you to see from John chapter 1 up on the screen, verse number 1. Because this reminds us who this is who we're singing about at Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word is just a title for Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That Christ himself, the baby in the manger, is in fact God. He was in the beginning with God. There was no beginning. Then verse 3, because he has always existed. All things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. And then finally in verse 4 of, of John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Just to remind us, friends, that the baby in the manger who came was the second person of the Trinity, was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who always existed. He's the one who spoke the world into being. In the sound of his voice, our earth was created. In the sound of his voice, he made the universe, all that we know. He's spoken into being, and now he has come as a baby in the manger. But friends, he came for a specific reason. And one thing that can happen at Christmas is that we can lose sight of the reason he came. We can see these nice things of a happy little baby in a manger with animals all around. And miss that he can't just come to be a nice baby in a manger. He came on a mission. Look back in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. He was sent. This was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. This wasn't plan B. God wasn't up in heaven 2,000 years ago and being like, oh, man, look at the earth. It's a mess. What are we going to do? Okay, quick, Christ, come over here. We've got to get you down there and fix this. This is no, like, spur-of-the-moment thing. This is, he was sent on a mission that had been planned from before time began. In fact, the word sent here was the Greek word apostolkin. It's the same word where we get apostle from. That he was apostled from God. To be an apostle means you're one sent on a mission with a purpose. And here Christ is apostolic and he's sent by the Father on a mission for a specific purpose. As we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, that this was decided on before the foundation of the world. Friends, to realize that before God had even made us, Christ had decided to come. And what was the reason he was going to come do? He was going to come in his love to rescue us. Look at verse 10 of 1 John 4. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Why did he come? Verse 10, he said he sent his son to be. Now here's the big reason coming and here's the big word for us, the propitiation for our sins. Now that's not the word we use every day. When was the last time in a conversation you talked about propitiation, right? That's most an important word for us, a lot of translations today are starting to take the word propitiation out. And that grieves me because it's a word that we need to grasp the fullness of. The word propitiation means a sacrifice that takes away God's wrath. It's a sacrifice that takes away wrath, that takes away punishment against sin. For this verse is a powerful reminder for us that God is holy. God is so holy, he cannot overlook sin. He can't look at us and be like, oh man... I really like that person. I know they're trying hard. Oh, it'll be okay. I'll just overlook that. If God did that, he would cease to be God because he would cease to be holy. His holiness, his perfection, his justice requires that every sin has to be punished. If God doesn't punish every sin, God is not God because he's not holy and just. Friends, propitiation reminds us of the holiness 
of God. And so Christ has come to be that sacrifice because either we bear the wrath of God against us for our sin or Christ bears it on our behalf. It has to be one of the two. And propitiation means that Christ has come to bear it for us. But there's more to propitiation that I love the ESV study Bible. It's my favorite study Bible out there. It says this, the propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath, but catch this, and turns it to favor. Propitiation is a sacrifice that that takes God's wrath and turns it to favor. To realize that when Christ came in the love of God to be the propitiation for our sins, not only did he take the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins, he also turned God to favor towards us, that we are now loved by our Creator. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, that he was sent... That God the Father sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins reminds us that Christ came on a mission. Not to stay a baby in the manger, but to grow up. To perfectly fulfill the law. To never sin. He never disobeyed his parents. He never told his parents no. He never lied. He never spoke falsehood. He never lusted. He didn't do anything wrong. He perfectly fulfilled the law. So he could go to the cross and be the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to cover our sins. He came to die. And hence, he cries out on the cross, it is finished. What is finished? Not just doing a nice example for us. What is finished is he took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. He came on a mission to do that, to take the wrath of God and turn it to favor towards us. So like I mentioned to the boys and girls earlier, friends, Christmas and Easter are all part of the same story. We can't separate those out. It's one redemptive story of God making a world and God redeeming his broken people and drawing them to himself. It's a story of redemption throughout all of it. And so God's love for us is very unique, that he was willing to sacrifice himself, that Christ was willing to come to take the wrath of God so that God could turn his favor towards us. So it's a unique love, but I also want us to realize in this text that his love for us, friends, is very undeserved. It's not anything we can earn, merit. It's not something he looks at us and goes, wow, those people are so amazing. They really deserve this. No, friends, his love for us was a very undeserved love. Look back at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, this is very sobering because God does not love us because we love him. God doesn't love us because of anything that we have, we've done. John is so clear here in this verse. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us. Friends, the reality is God loved us when we still hated him. Most of us don't think of ourselves before Christ as hating him, but that's what we were doing. We were depriving him of the worship that was due him. We were not believing. We were not obeying. And friends, the reality is all sin in our life is us shaking our fist at God. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. We're shaking our fist at God saying, not your way, God, but my way. And so, friends, apart from Christ, we are hating God. And that's the beauty of what Christ has done. He came and he loved us even when we were still his enemies. I love what Romans chapter 5 says verse 8 says for us. It's an incredible reminder, but God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, this is not love that we've loved God. God doesn't love us in response to our love for him. He loves us when we are still sinners, undeserving, lost in our sin, not pursuing him. He still came to us, loved us, rescued us. Friends, not only because we could not get to him on our own, but also because we did not want to get to him on our own. He came to us when we were so undeserving. So, friends, his love for us is incredibly unique. His love for us is undeserving. But there's one more thing I want us to see. Remember our definition of love? It's a choice to give of yourself for the good of another. 
I loved it. One of the kids this morning, when I asked them, how you know someone loves, one of them said, they, they sacrifice for us. Because that's profound. Love is a sacrifice. It costs something. And God's love for us, though free for us to receive, is incredibly costly. Look back at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. He sent his only son, friends, to not forget when we celebrate Christmas and the baby in the manger that Christ had left the glories of heaven. What we just sung about, that he was in heaven on his throne and all around were the followers of him from all the ages worshiping him. The angels were bowing around his throne, praising him that he is in heaven with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of worshipers, with untold multitude of angels and beings praising him. And he left all that to come and be born in a manger. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us of this truth. In verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 2, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And in verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And friends, he gave up his glory being on full display in heaven. He gave up his glory being seen by the, all those in heaven. He gave all that up. He gave all the worship to come and live among men who hated him, who wanted to kill him, who did not believe in him. And he came to do that, to sacrifice, verse 9, so that we might live through him. Live just means to receive eternal life, that he came to take the wrath of God and to give us the favor of God. There's a great, another cost as well, Besides just leaving heaven, verse 10, we just read. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Like I mentioned earlier, he came to suffer and die. He didn't come to stay the baby in the manger. He came to fulfill the law and go to the cross and be killed by those he had created so that he could take the punishment for our sins. I want you to be reminded of that even on this Christmas morning. In John's Gospel, in John chapter 19, I want you just to be reminded of the connection of what Christ came to do for us. In John chapter 19, verse 16, listen along on this. So he, that's Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now the baby in the manger did not come to stay a baby in a manger. He came on a mission to be the propitiation, to die in our place, to be crucified in the most cruel form of execution that mankind had ever dreamed up. So a person is, is stripped down naked. They're, they're beaten. Their back is beaten so raw. They're hung on a rough beam of wood to where they can't even push up to breathe without it just injecting pain in their back on that rough wood. He came to suffer and to die in our place. And listen, listen, listen to what happens in John chapter 19, a few verses later. In verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What is finished there? Propitiation. That he took the wrath of God. He had borne the wrath of God for every sin you and I have committed and will ever commit. He felt the wrath, the holy justice of the Father against all of our sin, and he bore it on the cross. He took the penalty, and he cries out, it is finished. So now the wrath has been absorbed, and now we can receive favor from God. Friends, as we think about the coming of Christ showing us the love of God, it shows us the wonders of his love that we sang about earlier, the wonders of the uniqueness of his love, the undeserving aspect of his love, and how costly it was. 
Let me mention one last thing about his love. One thing I noticed in the boys and girls were answering about love earlier. Think about that. When they've received love, it's changed them. One of the little boys down here asked, you know, how do you know when you're loved? He said, I've been adopted. Friends, what an incredible picture that is for us of sacrifice and how his life has been changed because of that. Friends, think how much so our life is different when we've been loved by our parents, when we've been loved by our spouse, or loved by our friends. How much more so should our lives be changed when we've been loved by our Creator? Think back to what Christ has done for us. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 2. This has been a while, and but we'll get back to Ephesians in two weeks. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. Look at what God has done for us. But God being rich in mercy because of the great what? Because of the great love with which he loved us. A God who out of his character of mercy, rich in mercy in his great love, not just a little love, great love for us. Now look at verse 5. What has he done for us? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Again, there's undeserving. It's not he's waiting for us to get our act cleaned up to come to him. But when we're still dead, when we're still hating God, when we're dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now verse 6, this beautiful picture. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That song we sing, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Friends, we have been adopted by God. We now belong to him. And friends, think of how much, if you've had a friend or a family member who's adopted a child, how different their life is. Now they're adopted. How much more so, friends, should our lives be changed as recipients of the love of God? Not just a love at a distance, but a love that has adopted us and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. As we've seen that all over and over in our studies, when we went through the Gospel of John, we saw if we really believe it's a radical transformation, it changes. We've seen in Ephesians that if we are adopted, it's going to change our desires and we're going to find grace to put off the old and put on the new as we spend time with Christ. But John highlights for us one way here in 1 John that experiencing the love of God should change us. It's not the only, but it's one way that I think is very fitting for us as we get ready to go into all of our family gatherings over the next few days. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because if we've experienced the supernatural love of our Creator, that we're so undeserving, deserve nothing but His wrath, if He's instead poured out His love on us, even when we were still sinners, if he has loved us and adopted us and died for us and has turned his wrath to favor for us, he's saying, if you've experienced that now, in turn, show that same type of love, that same type of giving of yourself for others like you've experienced from God. And notice in verse 11, this little word, ought. It's a big word there for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because that's our motivation, that look at what God's done for us. Now we respond to it, not to earn his love, but to give love as well. But it's also a command for us. We also ought to love one another. It should be what we do and what we want to do as well. I love how John Piper explains the word ought here, because I think we hear that and miss the emphasis of it. He just clears it up so he says, when John says we ought to love each other, he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water, and birds ought to fly in the air, and living creatures ought to breathe, and peaches ought to be sweet, and lemons ought to be sour, and hyenas ought to laugh, and born-again people ought to love. It is who we are. And friends, as we've seen in Ephesians that we'll jump back into in two weeks, if we understand who we are in Christ, it will change us. Because if we understand that we are undeserving recipients of this incredible, unique love of God, friends, it should change us as well. 
And I pray God will give us grace to see our need for him in loving one another in the way he has loved us. Friends, the coming of Christ shows us the wonders of God's love. That Christ came from heaven, not to stay a baby in a manger, but was sent on a mission to be the propitiation for our sins. He came to change us, to adopt us, to make us his children so that we can now be his transformed people who love others in the same way that he has loved us. The coming of Christ shows us the wonders of God's love. Friends, do you believe this Christmas season that Christ did in fact come? That this is not just a nice story, but this is actual history, recorded history, that God himself came as Emmanuel, God with us. The shepherds actually saw angels in a field, that magi from the east came and traveled because they saw a supernatural light, a star guiding them. Friends, do you believe this has actually happened? And friends, if you do, do you marvel at the love that it shows us from our Creator? Friends, it is so easy for us to get caught up in the regularness of Christmas. The, the traditions and the fun and the parties and the gifts and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with those. Friends, this account, this historical account, should drive us to a place of marveling that me, an undeserving sinner, that while I was still a sinner, while I was still a hater of God, he loved me. He drew me. He is now changing me. So, friends, if you believe that this has actually happened, that Christ has come, friends, not only do you marvel at it, but are you experiencing his love in such a way that it's changing you? And I pray this Christmas season over the next several days and the, even the weeks to come through our family and friends that we'll take time to not only marvel at God's love for us, but we will ask for much grace to show that same love to others around us as well. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for your love for us. Father, I pray that you would help us really understand the wonders of this. The Lord, as we sing Christmas carols, as we open presents, God, as we look at the Christmas trees and the nativity sets and spend times with family and friends and all those things, God. I pray even more than that, that we would find our joy in knowing that we're children of God. Father, there's anyone here who's never believed in you. God, I pray this will be the Christmas where it goes from just being a tradition or a celebration or a holiday to being an act of worship or of understanding that they have become a recipient of your glorious grace that we sang about just a few minutes ago. But would you give us much grace, Lord, to focus our eyes on you to see how wondrous your love for us is, but as well then understand that, to love others. I know that for many in this room, the next few days may be challenging. Maybe people that they're estranged from, that they know they need to see, or people they're forced to see, or there may be broken relationships that cause pain, hurt that they've been feeling, where the sin of others has hurt them, or even their own sin has hurt others. And Lord, I pray this Christmas, God, that we'd all be a people of much, much, much grace, or who love others the way that you've loved us. God, with mercy and with grace and with tenderness and all those things that we've been seeing in Ephesians. God, would you give us much grace to not only marvel at Christmas, but to love other people in the same way that you have loved us. And I pray, God, as we do so, that people will take notice, not for our name's sake, but we take notice in such a way they begin to ask questions of how can you forgive? How can you love that person? And God, that we would have opportunities to speak of you and your grace. And God, that your name is what we will talk about and that your glory is what will be on display. Lord, through the way we love other people and point them to you. Lord, we thank you for all these things and praise you for your glorious grace. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?